morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States that this morning. absolutely correct. And we'd and like to hear from you. That's right. Hey, give us a call wherever you may be. And I know a lot of folks listen to us on the podcast. And if you happen to have the times right. That's right. <laughs> have the time zones and all worked out, you give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction, give you some advice. And we've got Eugene online. Good morning, Eugene. Good morning. Yes, Good morning, sir. sir. How are you guys? I listened to you on uh, Stitcher on my way to work. Oh, great. Where are you calling from, Eugene? Oxford, Connecticut. Oh, okay, great. A little cooler up here. Oh, yeah, bet I bet it is. <laughs> if I can get into the question real quick. Yeah, you um, bet. 2006 Audi A6, mm-hmm. six-cylinder, chain-driven. Um, after I noticed a pattern after about an hour of driving it, and it could be a, I could have a short stop somewhere in between. But once there's been a good hour of driving, mm-hmm. um, I start getting hot air blowing out of the side vents, um, regardless of the temperature I have set in the car. Mm-hmm. So I could have it low, or I could have had it warm. Now, is it only the side vents, Eugene, or is it all the vents? I think it's the side vents, but that could be some kind of setting I have on the mm-hmm. on the car. But it definitely like the left side. Yes, sir. Of the steering wheel just starts blowing really hot air. Yes, sir. Regardless and of the setting. Right. You know, I, I don't work European cars. I work domestic and Asian, so I'm not as familiar with Audi. But I can tell you in general, a lot of cars have that particular problem. Pretty important to determine is it blowing on the left side hot and then the other side is still relatively cool? Because if that's the case, almost in every case, it's going to be what they call an actuator, which is a little electric stepper motor under the dash that controls the dual zone temperature settings on it. It's basically just a little motor that works a door back and forth, and you've got an evaporator core, which is cold. You've got a heater core, which is hot, and this door moves between the two, and then there's multiple doors for left and right. That's about the only thing that could cause it to get hot on one side and not the other. So that's the reason you'd want to check and see. Now, that is going to leave a code in the memory of the car it's not going to set a check engine light because it's not an emissions code Mm -hmm. but anyone who has an audi scan tool could go in scan your body control module and there's going to be a code stored for an actuator error Mm -hmm. so i'm going to get it checked anyway but i just i wanted to have um Mm -hmm. you know like a better idea going in there yeah um if what i'm not sure about is if it's i think it's coming out of both side vents at least well, if and, it's, and it seemed to come on like an hour into driving. Yeah. So we were driving up to Boston to visit mm-hmm. family, and uh, mm-hmm. yes, sir. after about an hour, I, I couldn't do anything other than open the, the two front windows and let that hot air blow out. Correct. Now, and normally, it, if you will turn the car off and or just pull off to the side, put it in park, turn it off, and then start it again, it's going to actually reset. It didn't, though. Like, it did it yesterday. This is why I'm actually, okay. like, wanted to make a point of calling mm-hmm. today. So mm-hmm. I had stopped for about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. actually went through. It was still uh, stuck. And then, yeah, it seemed to keep doing it. When, when I stopped for another error and I was out for about 40 minutes, it didn't do it. Mm-hmm. The other is if I turn the temperature way down, kind of like the old days when you just like let the heat blow off, so mm-hmm. to speak, it, it finally seemed to cool off and resolve the problem. That sure sounds a lot like one of the actuators because they will stick in a certain position, and that is what they'll do. And being an electrical motor, if it's not finding its exact position or it doesn't know the exact position, what's going to happen is the computer's going to continue to ping it. It's going to try to keep moving it to find the actual position. It's got like a little rheostat basically inside of it that tells it, reports back to the computer what position the door is in. Let's say it loses track of that because the sensor is going bad. The computer will continue to try to move it, and that's why it takes a period of time to occur. At some point, it's just going to time out, and it's just going to quit. It's going to give up. It's going to leave it where it's at. 
Now, after it cools back down or when the computer resets or whatever, see, on American cars, generally, if you start the car again, it's going to reset. But it may not be the case on the European stuff. It may have to actually time out or something in the computer. Okay. It's going to shut down command to it after some point of not being able to actuate it because it doesn't want to burn the computer up. Is there anything else I got to be worrying about though, like uh, the heater core or could water not be pump a core? No, like sir. None of that no. would be time related. The heater core were restricted or anything like that. It would be all the time. It's, it's, okay. There's nothing that's going to change with time, other than something that is electrical that's getting hot and moving because okay. it, it operates normally for an hour. So yeah. that tells you the thermostat's good. That tells you the heater core is good, the hoses and all of that sort of thing. Also, the heater core can't just get too hot because the blend door would simply close, block the airflow through it so you wouldn't feel it regardless. I mean, it could just sit there and technically burn up, and it still wouldn't put the heat into the passenger compartment as long as it wasn't ducting airflow through it. The only other possibility would be if there's some type of a electrical control valve that cuts the coolant flow to the heater core, Again, not being a Euro mechanic, I'm not certain about it. Uh-huh. If you want to send an email to me, I will look it up in service data and see if I can give you some more information on it. But it could possibly be a electrically controlled valve. A lot of cars do have those. It cuts the coolant flow to the core at some uh-huh. point. But again, I don't think it would take an hour to occur. It'd be more like either it didn't get hot or it got hot all the time when it wasn't supposed to than uh-huh. a lack of control. Control okay. is, is almost 100% through the actuators. Okay. All righty. Excellent. Hey, thanks for calling, Eugene. If you hang yeah. on and give the producer give me your address, I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you. Excellent. Well, thanks, thank man. You. Great. Four nine 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 five two six is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? That was a pretty good distance away today. So, uh, if you got a heater problem, I'm sure you're going to feel it in Connecticut a whole oh, lot yeah. more. You're here, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> We consider it pretty cold out there right now. Was it about 50, maybe? Oh, it's about 48, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so 50 chill, degrees. Oh, chilly. Chilly morning, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Got to say, what? I had a fellow uh, send an email from uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, and he was saying that at minus 15 degrees. Minus 15. Yeah, his PCV system and throttle body are starting to freeze up on right? the car. And he was asking some different questions about it. And what I was saying, first thing you need to check is because to freeze, oil does not freeze. Correct. Even at minus 15 degrees, but moisture does. So apparently we've got some excessive moisture building up in the system. Mm-hmm. So we need to look at that, address that problem. And the other may be just a symptom of the Right. Problem. It may go away. Could be something like short trips. If you're making a lot of short trips under five miles, it's not ever getting hot enough to boil the moisture out of the system, so it starts to accumulate. Well, and you figured minus 15 degrees, it's going to take a good while to heat up That's to right. operating temperature. You're probably I know, need a one-hour drive. Yeah, I know here in Baton Rouge, when it was 31, 32, mm-hmm. it's cold days we had, my truck didn't warm up as fast as it used to. Oh, yeah. So minus 15 is <laughs> really cold. Yeah, really cold. <laughs> but you could have something like a bad thermostat in it, of course, would cause that kind of a problem not changing the oil often enough right can cause that because the moisture builds up moisture in builds up oil has dispersancy so it's going to hold that moisture until it can get rid of it and the only way to get rid of it is either drive a long distance so it can get hot enough to boil out or, or change the oil correct drain and fill so you got to remember under those circumstances that is extreme conditions you really cannot push that oil past about three thousand miles even with a longer trip if you ever read the manufacturer's definitions of extreme service, they'll say you can go six, seven, eight thousand miles under normal service. Then they say under extreme service, change it three. Uh huh. Extreme service is like over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit in many Correct. cases. Under zero degrees Fahrenheit in many cases. 
short trips, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to take all that into account because you're not operating under what the manufacturer considers normal conditions. To this gentleman, that is probably normal driving. Uh-huh. He lives in Fairbanks, Alaska. Right. <laughs> but- it's probably minus 15, three months out of the year. <laughs> But that is really not what the vehicle's designed to do. No, so that would it is an extreme condition. You can have to take a little different tack with maintaining it. Right. So you know, I just thought it was an interesting question. It just shows you how things vary from one region. Oh of the yeah, to definitely. Another. Let's go back to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Yes, sir. I hate to bother you ever Saturday, but I want you to cut open my new Honda oil filter and see what you think. A O two. If you, if it wasn't for the blue paint, you'd think it had orange paint on the outside. Uh oh. <laughs> oh no. I had dissected one recently, but over the years, I've cut several of them open. Now, there are actually two different Honda filters, two different manufacturers. There's, I think, a 01 and a 02, but they're both made. uh, Filtrek is 01, and uh, Honeywell is. Yeah, Honeywell, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, but I've I've had pretty good luck with them. I've cut some of them open in the past and never had any problems out of them. The new, this A02, has it been out very long? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's the filter they've been using for years. Okay, well, it just sort of looks. <laughs> it's not a real large filter. No, it's but not. It's, it's a good filter. It's well built. The ends of it are tied in. You know, they're bonded in. It's got a got bypass that, valve in it. Got uh, that cardboard at the top, and it doesn't have that coil spring. I believe it's got a wafer. Yeah, they're just made a little bit different the way they operate. But again, the lubrication system on that engine is made a little bit different. So you can't compare necessarily one filter in one car to a different filter. You got to compare it with among the particular car itself. Now you got to watch too, Herb. I know on the internet, I had a fellow email about a Nissan filter with the same exact concerns, and he directed me to a website, and I looked at it. And it was showing a really, really poorly built filter, but I cut an OEM Nissan filter over. It was not the case at all. So there was some bogus pictures out, at least on a Nissan filter. It could be somebody with an axe to grind. I don't know who puts this stuff out there or if you can trust or not, but I tell you what, I'll check and see. Okay, I just but, wanted to tell you. Yeah, I may cut one open and just see in case something's changed, but I hadn't heard of anything to put it that way. Okay, it's very obvious it's who made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll All right. Yeah. All right, Herb. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd certainly love to have you. Why don't you go give us a call? And if you don't get your call answered today or you don't think of something before we go off the air, maybe right. something during the week, mm-hmm. you need a question answered, you can always go to the website, get the contact bar, and send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. There is, like I said, a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the form and send it in. That's right. I get it right on over to me. And if you hadn't gotten an answer back from me, be sure to check your spam folder because there are a lot of the email providers out there, web services, I guess you'd call you internet providers, who when they see a lot of email coming from a certain server, they're going to assume that it's spam. Uh And I understand there's lots of spam floating around. They're trying to prevent as much of it as they can. But sometimes they just don't get it right. And if that happens to you, you can either add us to your safe sender list, which I think you right-click on the email and, and then just tell it a safe sender. Okay. Or you can call your email company and tell them, hey, this is something I requested. But if you hadn't gotten a answer from me, go back and check your spam folder because many times it may route it from that. And it's just because such a large number of email come out of our server. Right. You know, we get probably 10, 15, 20 a day at least, sometimes way more. And then sometimes when we send out a newsletter, hundreds and hundreds will go out. Well, they see a lot of stuff coming out of one place. And if it's not in your spam folder, then check the return address. Yeah, make sure you typed it in right. Right, because one little character off and it's over. It comes back, and that's all we can go do with it. Well, that's right, because I don't ignore email. I don't feel like I'm ignoring you. I always answer every email that I receive. 
I can't always give you an answer. <laughs> I might just not know, but I do always reply to every email that I receive. Right. So uh, if you haven't gotten an answer back, check those things. And while you're on the site, pop around, read some of the articles, see what you think. I put one on this morning on car covers, and this is a follow-up to the interview we had about two weeks ago from the Correct. lady from the car company. That was uh, Empire. Yeah, Empire, car uh-huh. covers. And she had sent me some information and an article, which I actually put on, which goes in a little bit more depth, kind of recaps right. what we talked about. And Car cover is probably one of those things you can do to protect your car if you don't have a garage to keep the car in. Even a carport would stand a, mm-hmm. a car cover. That's right. Even if you have a garage and you have a classic car that you don't drive every day, it's not a bad idea to get a fleece-type cover and cover it. Just because it keeps debris and stuff like that off of right. it, if you the ever, dust from settling. Right, off. if you ever look around your garage at stuff that doesn't move very often, it's covered in dust and dirt. And oh, absolutely. Dust and dirt on a fresh paint job will work its way in and cause you some problems down the road. Well, that's right. This just gives you another layer of protection. And, of course, if you're forced to leave your car out, and particularly in the northern regions of our country where you get a lot of snow and ice, this will uh-huh. keep that off of the vehicle. In the south, it'll keep the ultraviolet rays of the sun from fading the paint so right. not a bad idea if you got a car you care about you want to kind of take care of it get your car cover and put on there of course empire was nice enough to give us all this information i think too they will give you a discount if right you, um i think you use That's the use the code auto, auto hour, hour auto right hour when you order it and i think they'll give you a pretty That's, significant yeah it was it was pretty substantial mm-hmm. we're gonna take a quick little break we'll be right back with more on the automotive hour west hey Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer, tomorrow, or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Alzheimer, with Mr. Brian Terry. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499 9526. And a 225 will get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States this morning. Well, you go ahead and give us a call. I'm glad to try to help you out and put you in the right direction. Get a different perspective of what's going on around the country. Well, that's right. And of course, we always enjoy our, all of our callers, particularly Baton Rouge mm-hmm. regional callers. <laughs> <laughs> But what happens many, many times, people have trouble with their car, and it's very, very easy to kind of end up treating the symptoms rather than the problem. And bouncing it off of another person who is not quite as close to the problem as you are, he may see something that you didn't see. So he Uh can help you out in many, many, many cases. Sure. Sort of like the email we were talking about with the fellow from Alaska. He's talking about, well, maybe I should change the throttle body. Maybe I should change this. Maybe I should change that. But those are the symptoms of the problem. The actual problem, 
I think, is excessive moisture in the oil. Because Correct. Because you can change parts from now on that are freezing, but the parts are freezing because there's moisture in them. Sure. So without going in and addressing the actual problem, it's kind of like a guy told me, he says, you can trim the poison ivy all you want until you hack the roots out. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's it's coming be, back. It's coming right on back. So, yeah, just pruning the poison ivy ain't doing us a whole lot of good here. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets pretty expensive on cars. Sure it does. That's one thing that bouncing it off of someone with an experience and a different view a lot of times can point it out to you sure. and help you out a great deal. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Doing Luke? great, sir. I don't want to get that silver trailblazer. You got me out with Okay, great. It's doing good, no problem there, but when I come to a stop, I get a real vibration that's running through my vehicle. Okay. It's not when I'm moving or not. It's just when yeah. I come to a stop yeah. I'm in driving. I can put it in neutral and it stop. Yeah, Chris, that is almost always going to be an engine mount on a trailblazer they're pretty bad about the motor mounts going out in them when you get yep. around a hundred thousand miles they're usually pretty well done and i'll tell you how you can confirm that you're pretty handy aren't you chris yeah get a little small floor jack and take a block of wood so you don't damage the oil pan put it between the oil pan and the jack and then lightly jack up on the motor you're not trying to pick it out of the car but just pick it up a little bit maybe a quarter inch and see if the vibration gets much better Right. Okay. And if it does, you, you got some motor mounts, baby. But we change those mounts all the time at around 100,000, 120,000, 130,000. That's about all they make. The rubber well, packs I, down, yeah. and, and, and the metal touches metal. It just shakes the devil out of the car to idle. Yeah. They, yeah. You put it in drive is when you're going to feel it, or reverse. When you put it in neutral, the motor kind of settles out and idles up so you don't feel it as much. There's a big, long out, drawn-out procedure for changing those engine mounts, too. They want you – oh, yeah. It, they look real easy, but once you get in there and start moving them around – You'll find that they are a bear to get in and out, especially well. if you're trying to do it on a floor jack in the driveway. <laughs> it, it works. It works much better if it's on a twin post, lifted up in the air, and all the weights off the suspension. Yeah, you well, you, can get you actually have to take the struts out of the car to get to the bolts to unbolt oh. the motor mount from the chassis. Yeah, yeah they, they're Thank not you, GM, huh? <laughs> they're not real easy, but they are doable. Yeah, yeah. But that's almost always the problem. Right. And, and you can notice it because, like I say, if you shift from reverse to drive, the vibration will change. It won't go away, but it'll change. And in neutral, you know, you're taking load off the motor. It's not torquing one way or the other, and right. it kind of idles up, so it, it gets a lot better. Now, at speed, you just don't feel it because it just drones out. Right. And when I'm driving down the road, I you won't feel it. it. No, no, you won't sir. feel it. That's going to be an idle type thing. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I just want to tell you, my engine's still doing good. I got 211,000 on it, so well, it's good. going good. Good deal. That's great. There you go. All right. All right, Chris. All right. Thanks, bye. man. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. Motor mounts are one of those things, particularly on the newer cars, they've gotten just really, really extravagant on some of those. Some of the worst, I think, are on the Honda products. Right. They're actually electronic fluid yeah, field mounts. mounts. Mm-hmm. Very, very expensive and just don't work worth a hoot. In oh, my yeah, some opinion. of them, $500, $600. Oh, yeah, six easily. And on the Honda Odyssey is one of the ones. Six and a quarter, six Yeah, there's there's... Two big mounts that are well over six hundred dollars each, and there's a couple small mounts that are maybe a hundred or a couple of hundred, and there's a couple of little small ones that are forty or fifty. And those two big mounts go out all the time. I can't imagine spending that much money for a motor mount that doesn't go up any better than that. You know, obviously this engineer just wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't on the ball with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's make a mount that costs six hundred dollars doesn't hold up very well. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. And the same thing, you will notice the vibration under different conditions. Sometimes you'll feel it at idle. In fact, we've got one in the shop right now, a little Honda Odyssey. And this one, if you get it up to about 60 miles an hour, 
and kind of let off of the gas and let it coast, that's when you feel it. Uh-huh. It's just that's when the motor transmission assembly shifts to the proper position to really to, pass the vibration through. And the, the worst thing you can do is go to a parts house and buy mm-hmm. an aftermarket mount and put on Yeah, and you're not going to find one your time. for that because they only make one for well, that application. Any but, other application. Yeah, yeah, you, just, you're really wasting your time. They just don't fit very well, and a lot of times they, they don't vibrate hold up. worse. Well, they may vibrate worse than the one that you're taking out. Sure. Because they just don't fit right. Uh, that's... That's true with a lot of aftermarket parts. There are a few aftermarket parts that are pretty good. I know we bash them a lot, but there's a couple of companies, out, companies out there that yeah, really do a good job. They do. I hate to paint everybody with a broad brush, but uh, you just, just got to know which ones to look for. You got to be very, very, very careful with that kind of stuff. We're going back to our phone lines with Danny. Good morning, Danny. How you doing, there? Doing good great, morning. sir. Yeah, I got an 03 Chevy Trailblazer with mm-hmm. about 180,000 miles on it. Okay. It's got a kind of a rough idle to it. And every now and then, you know, you can look down and your RPM gauge is kind of moving up and down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you give it the gas, it kind of has a little hesitation in it when you go to pull off. Danny, is it more when the engine's cold than when it's hot? Pretty much all the time. Okay. Anytime you stop, you know, it, uh, on the road it does good. Uh, and, you know, no problems with it on high speeds or anything. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. Generally, whenever you stop it, it just has that hesitation to almost to the point. I had a Ford Explorer one time that mm-hmm. would almost die when you would yes, pull sir. up. Mm-hmm. But it's not that bad. No, well, this is a different different now. setup on this. This has got drive-by-wire, whereas Explorer had an IEC motor on it, so okay. you would notice a little difference there. But I think most of the time, a vibration at idle, that's always there. It's kind of like the caller we just talked to. Engine mounts on that vehicle are pretty problematic, particularly at 180,000 miles. And when the mounts go bad, the vibration's in the engine. It just vibrates because it's turning, but the rubber mounts absorb all that. Right. When the mount wears out, you will feel it at an idle, and it's going to just kind of shake the whole vehicle. Again, the same thing as what we talked to the guy earlier. If you got a little floor jack or something with a uh-huh. wooden block, put that between the oil pan and the jack and just nice. lightly jack up on the motor. Take the load off of it. Don't try to jack it out of the car, but pick it up a quarter inch or so. And if the vibration immediately gets a lot better, then okay. it's going to be your motor mount. Okay, but you think with the RPM gauge, you kind of... Up and down. I think you got two separate problems. Yeah. The right. RPM going up and down and the hesitation is not going to be related to the vibration. I mean, right. it could possibly be, but probably not. That sounds more like a dirty mass airflow meter or something like that. Okay. We have had pretty good luck cleaning those. GM says don't clean them, replace them. But, again, they're in the business of selling $500 airflow meters. Okay. We've cleaned a lot of those and, and helped with that. Right. Very often, that's what a hesitation is going to be. And that will also cause some fluctuation between the airflow meter or the throttle body being dirty. Right. Most likely, you got two separate problems. Now, again, if the motor mounts are bad and it's idling lower than normal, then it's going to make it way, way worse. Right. Yeah, I took it somewhere before with the, mm-hmm. with the vibration problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the guys, you've answered my question, but they said they could take like a big pry bar and pry it and right. it would go away. Yeah, right. well, that's, that's the same thing. Mount. You just prying right. up on the motor mount, picking right. the, the weight of it off the chassis. But usually when you use a pry bar, you you pivoting off of the chassis so right. you're sitting it you're putting it you still straight got together. a transfer path there right you're transferring the vibration straight to the frame rail whereas Where if is... you take a jack and put a block on it you're actually lifting away from that transfer point right, right. is that pretty pricey to change those mounts that it's a little pricey takes yeah. a couple hours it's, it's a labor two, two three hour job to change them because they're really buried in there the mounts are a hundred and something dollars a piece but it's not the end of the world but it's okay. just gonna be you know it's several hundred dollars all right well thank you very much okay Danny, all right thanks sir. man right. bye-bye all right, we're going to take one more little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Welcome back to our Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hatred Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? 499-9526. And we've got Jim online. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, Louis. Yes, sir. Doing great. Good morning. Listen, I got a question. I don't have a car problem per se, but I got a kind of general question about the future of automobiles. Okay. There's this big push to go either compressed natural gas or liquid natural gas mm-hmm. or some kind of fuel like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been around a long time. It has. Though, but uh, I think the technology is better now. What do you guys see or, or, or think? Or I like it. I, I really like compressed natural gas. When I was a young man, I worked around some of the sugar mills, and those guys have been using that for years and years and years. And when you saw those engines torn down, I mean, they were spotless inside, very little carbon buildup, very few problems with it. I've often wondered why they haven't pursued that avenue way before now. But, in fact, you can actually buy a handful of vehicles that way. I think GM actually sells a van, a G-Van, that uh-huh. is that way. I've never seen one in production, but I know they do make them. They're in the books. Ford just signed something for the F-150 mm-hmm. by that Westport engine. Yeah, I w- would like it. I mean, I heard that the way the Honda system works, you can actually hook it to your home gas line. It comes with like a generator type thing. You mm-hmm. hook it to your home line, and it compresses the gas right there, and you can fill it yourself. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure about that, but that's that's what I've heard about them. But, yeah, the drawback to it is the availability of filling stations. There's not a compressed natural gas station on every corner like there is a gas station, particularly if you're traveling in the vehicle and you get to a region where they don't have it. That would be a problem. But, again, those are not things that couldn't be worked out. But, yeah, it works really, really well in a car. The the car likes it. Yeah, I've seen some come up uh, sporadically. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fuel Man is offering it, you know, here Mm -hmm. and there. Well, and you get the advantage with ethanol and fuel, it goes through phase separation really quickly, about three months. A car that sits really can have some serious fuel system problems, and this would pretty much eliminate that as well. Yeah, tell me about an outboard motor. Yeah, right. Yeah, same same type of thing. So who knows, man, the, the political situation being what it is, there's all kinds of reasons why one energy source gets pushed over another. And I guess it's just whoever coughs up the most money to the politicians gets get theirs <laughs> pushed. That's exactly but, what it is. Yeah, yeah, I've always thought that compressed natural gas was a very, very viable alternative fuel source. With the volumes you're talking about on any type of energy source, billions of dollars are available to folks who supply almost any different type of energy or alternative type of energy. So lots and lots of money to be made, which means there's going to be a lot of political implications. Okay. All right. All right. Just, just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on it. Yeah, sounds Thanks. great. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. We used to tear those engines down a lot of times for other problems and uh-huh. stuff. And I was always just amazed at how clean they were inside right. when they're running on natural gas. It just uh, Yeah, the only drawback to that is in the natural gas, the price of natural gas per cubic yard or cubic inch or however they measure it <laughs> is going to go up. I'm sure it will. And there is an abundance of natural gas from what I understand. I know some countries actually flare it. Uh-huh. It's almost like a byproduct of the oil thing. Is There's a big bubble of natural gas sitting on top of a lot of oil deposits. And right. I was reading somewhere, they were talking about Iran and talking about their nuclear program where they needed nuclear energy. They flare more natural gas in a day. <laughs> <laughs> they use different energy sources. Yeah, it probably could. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's unfortunate that politics plays such a role in what energy gets used and what things we develop. Right. And I... I don't know, actually, I'm not going to get into all of that, but you, you can look at the technology that are out. For instance, the hybrids, they put a huge, huge, huge amount of development and stuff into the hybrids, which is basically, if you look at it, it's sort of an impractical technology. It's just way, way too complex right. for the amount of fuel that it saves. It saves a little bit of fuel, but it adds a huge amount of complexity. Well, and not only that, on the end, you've got a lot of disposal you have to think right. of. Right. You've got batteries that you have to get rid of that have to be changed, so it's really not nearly as viable as a lot of other things like for instance diesel you know diesel fuel can produce a whole lot more power simply because it has more energy in the diesel fuel. Uh-huh. and i realize there's some issues with the exhaust being a little dirtier but there's certainly ways around that but you think back an old volkswagen diesel rabbit in the 1970s was, Man, getting it was getting 40 some miles, yeah, miles a gallon, gallon. Yeah. i knew a guy in school had one yeah Man, and, we drove the wheels off that thing yeah in europe the diesels are really really almost uh, that's that's it's, pretty common. Really, yeah, really prevalent over there. But yeah. we've invested so much money into hybrids and technology that really doesn't work very well in this country that right. we don't want to see the diesels come in because they have to throw away all this money they've invested <laughs> and go with a different technology. But it's really, rather than looking at, okay, what's best, what's simplest, what's easiest, because diesel technology is something that most people, there's an infrastructure, they're already to dispense it. There's already an infrastructure to maintain it. Right, and it's come so far in the last several years oh, yeah. as far as being cleaner, being a better product. Well, not noisy and clanky and rattly like they used to be. They right, they used to the be turbos and all slow on. and they yeah. bell out a whole bunch of black smoke. Yeah. And yeah, nowadays they got a lot of power. Well, you hardly know you're driving a diesel. That's you, it. You wouldn't know the difference unless, you, unless someone told you. But anyway, just one of those things. Yep. Let's go back to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning, sir. How's it going? Doing great, Good. sir. I just want to make a comment on the natural gas engines. Uh-huh. I, I was involved with been a long time, but anyway, there eventually there will be a problem with a, with it, no matter how good the system is. Mm-hmm. It's finding somebody to fix them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's true of anything, especially in new technology, Bruce. But again, at the turn of the 20th century, it was really hard to find anybody who could work on a gasoline engine because all the cars were electrical or they were steam-powered. That was the technology they had today, and when you gasoline internal combustion engine came along it was all new it was, it was very very radical and nobody could really work on them you start to have more of them more people are gonna say hey here's a money source i'm gonna go into this i'm gonna learn about it i'm gonna, just like anything else i mean i remember when alternators came out nobody wanted to work on them because everybody had been building generators for a million years now you couldn't pay a guy to work on a generator or disc brakes or disc brakes or, or, or yeah. front wheel drive or any of the other newer technologies that have come along 
at first there's no one out there to fool with it, but as soon as you get more of them on the road and there's money to be made fixing them, then smart guys are going to figure out how to prepare them and get into that business. So I understand all that, but uh, it's been over nine years since I was involved with mm-hmm. uh, drove a vehicle with natural gas mm-hmm. in it. The one I had was a Chevrolet, and it was uh, an excellent system. I mm-hmm. never had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And But the Ford factory unit especially, and I remember, nine years ago, Mm-hmm. They never could get them straightened out. Yeah. Well, again, if you got a poor design, that's going to be the case with anything. Same thing happens with gasoline cars. Occasionally, one comes along and just can't fix it. It's just a bad design. But you yeah, got to you- remember, with natural gas engines, ninety-five percent or ninety-nine percent of that thing is still a conventional engine. Oh yeah. You know, it's still pistons. It's still valves. It's still everything is the same. All it's it is just a different fuel, fuel source. You know, throttle body's changed and the fuel tank has changed and doesn't have a fuel pump, but. The vast majority of it is conventional vehicle. Right, but another thing is the the expense of getting a vehicle mm-hmm. with the natural gas rigging on it. Well, of course, yeah, but, but again, time, you're talking about a very, very small part of the market right now. If they became more mainstream, that's going to come down. I understand that, too, but uh, at that time, they were around $4,500. That's correct. Uh, you got to do an awful lot of driving to make mm-hmm. any money out of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but again, if it became more mainstream, I think the cost would come way, way down, just like anything else. If I only built one or two or a hundred or a thousand of any product, it's going to be extremely expensive. If well, I build a hundred thousand of them, it's going to be a lot less. And eventually the, the system should get better than what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I'm just, just saying what I had, what I experienced mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's been quite a while well, ago, but like I said, I know they've been using them out in the sugar mills and stuff around here for probably 45 years or more and just have basically almost no problem at all. But, again, they got a mechanic there. That's what he works on all day long. And he's well, used to working on it. He knows how to fix it. And now, The main problem we had with them was switching from gasoline to natural gas or the other way. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if it's strictly a natural gas right. engine, they right. never had a problem. That's correct. But the one that used both fuels? Yeah, well, that's a lot more uh, complexity find involved. somebody that knows what they're doing. Well, sure, and you even have tri-fuel vehicles, which will run on diesel, gas, or natural gas. And, again, you get more complexity, just like anything. It's like a hybrid. You know, it's not a horrible, horrible thing. It's just a very complex design. And yeah. so you're going to have a lot more trouble with it, and it's far out weighs the advantages that it provides kind of like a military vehicle <laughs> that's right uh diesel and gas vehicles right yeah they didn't work and that, that was all well mechanical uh, yeah and uh, they didn't if you got one that gave you any trouble you had problems yep that's right thank you hi right, bruce Thanks all right sir anyway. bye-bye all right 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive hour we'd love to have you anytime you add complexity to any type of vehicle you're going to have problems and sure those sorts of things tend to work themselves out. And, again, this country and this world are just absolutely loaded with clever people. Sure. Who, if they see an opportunity to repair something, they're going to figure out ways to do it. Sure, make a little money on make it. Make a little money doing it. Yeah, that's so it. When you say, well, there's nobody who will work on this, well, it's because there's no designs to work on. <laughs> well, that's it. If you, as open soon a, as they... yeah, you open a natural gas repair shop today, you're going to starve to death because sure. there's just there's so no few one out units there. out there and, and they don't break that much. So no one is going to do it, so it's going to be hard to find. But to turn it around and kind of look at it the opposite way, you can say, well, it's kind of hard to find anybody who make you a buggy whip. And to get a buggy whip probably costs a good bit to make somebody sit down and make one. But at one time, there were thousands of people making them, and they were fairly inexpensive because there were so many of them in production. Just no need for it, so they've gone away. As they become more mainstream, Right, then and, you go see more. Yeah, you know, that, that brings to mind the old Cadillac four six eight right engine. That was all back. What was that? The eighties. They oh, yeah. tried that. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. 
Yep. So they got rid. They dropped it. They got rid of it. Mm-hmm. Well, the technology's come around to make it work now. Yeah. Now so they, now they can do it effectively. Well, they have active fuel management, and of course, with electronics and all, they can do a whole lot more things than they could do at that time with a right. mechanical system. And the active fuel management, like on your new GMs with your five three and your six two engine, all really don't see a lot of trouble with it. There's a few little quirky things, like with any mechanical device. But really, you don't see a lot of problems with that. No, you don't. The, the technology is there to make it work, and they, they finally got it going, mm-hmm. and it's dependable now. Yeah, you know, technology is a wonderful thing as long as it helps people and it's cost-effective. Exactly. It's just what has happened in many cases on automobiles is that they have lost sight of it has to be cost-effective. In other words, the end user, the man who buys the car, has got to see a change for the better. Uh-huh. If it doesn't benefit him then it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to employ this. Right. You know, we can come up with all sorts of designs and things. Well, a lot of it's just designed to for sake of design. Yeah, look what I can do. Right, exactly. Or it may be a sales point. I was looking at a system the other day that was incredibly complex. I don't recall exactly what it was, but an example could be some of the hydraulic suspensions that they use on cars that have these valves and computer control things. They just don't ride or drive noticeably better, uh-huh. and they don't offer any perceivable advantage to the driver, but yet they add thousands of dollars of complexity sure. to the car. So that's an example of a poor technology, in my opinion. Now, there are other technologies, for instance, fuel injectors. Wonderful, wonderful technology. Oh, it, it is. It's great. It revolutionized the way cars ride and drive, and you hit the key now, it starts right up. They're cost-effective. I don't think anybody's ready to go back to carburetors. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Including the guys who have to work on them. That's it. But, yeah, that's a really good technology. So not all technology is bad. Some of it is very, very good, very, very useful. It is. But, again, what we have to keep in mind when we're designing all these systems is does the end user notice an improvement? Right. And is it worth the money he's spending to get it? And like you said, from carburetors to fuel injection is night and day. Oh, yeah, there's there's no question that that was a wonderful, wonderful improvement. But, so much of what they're doing now is just more fluff. Right. And, you know, just for sake of doing it. Yeah, that's right. Hey, let's go back to our phones. Keith, good morning, Keith. Hey, good morning. Good morning. What's the difference between synthetic oil and regular oil? You see and hear so much, you need special filters and all that. No, not really. Keith, the what word the synthetic, stuff? well, the word synthetic is very ambiguous because what it really means is an oil that meets a certain standard or meets certain specifications and not what the oil is made out of. In other words, it's not a type of oil. It's a standard or specification of oil. What a lot of people accept as a definition of synthetic is oil that's made out of an alcohol-based material like PAOs, which is polyalpha olefin, or esters and all that. But actually, the word synthetic is a marketing term. It's an oil that meets certain specifications. So there are oils out there they call synthetic, which are actually petroleum. And there are oils out there which are actually, a, like I said, a PAO or an ester type oil. For the most part, a synthetic oil is going to be an oil that meets a much higher standard than a regular oil. And it's with cars today, with some of them require synthetics. Like, for instance, if you had a new Toyota, it calls for 0W20. The only way to get to 0W20 is with a synthetic product. You a can't conventional oil won't way. make it. Will not make it. The reason why I asked you is I read an article in Popular Mechanics mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. and they simply stated that the difference between synthetic oil and regular oil is that synthetic is just a highly refined 
regular oil. That's not, all they said. The that's not is. true, no, sir. There are oils that are. A high, they'll take a Group Four base stock, they'll hydrocrack it, and they'll call it synthetic. Some of your other oils will be ester type oils, which is a very high quality synthetic product. But aren't, aren't all those products derived from oil? No, esters are made from condensing an organic or inorganic acid and mixing it with alcohol, so it's not a petroleum product at all. Hmm. Now, there are synthetic, what they call synthetics. It all kind of goes back. See, Mobile One was making a product that was a synthetic oil, and Castrol came along and took some Group 4 brace stock and broke it down and re-engineered it, and they said, okay, this meets the same standard. We're going to call it synthetic. So Mobile One says, oh, wait a minute, you can't call it synthetic. It's not synthetic. It's just petroleum oil. So he took them to court. And what happened is the judge decided that the word synthetic does not have anything to do with what it's made out of. It's certain standards that it can meet. So they were able to call that a synthetic oil. And ever since then, like I said, it's been very, very confusing to people. Yeah, it is. But it not, is. <laughs> see, th- there are synthetic oils that go in air conditioners that are 100% ester or 100% PAO. So there's all sorts of synthetic oils out there. Some are a blend. There are synthetic blends, which are partly regular fossil oil and partly PAO or esters. So there's just a vast, vast number of things that are called synthetics. Yeah. So it's it's very, very confusing. But to answer your question, (laughs) will you benefit from a synthetic oil? There's actually, if you go on my website, there's an article, and just type in, should I use synthetic or something like that in the search bar, and it'll bring it up for you, and it tells you a lot more. The problem with synthetic oil is that it costs a lot more than regular oil. Now, (laughs) you got to see, is that going to offer you an advantage? Some people say, well, it goes much longer than synthetic. No, that's not true. It doesn't go longer because synthetic oil has better detergents in it. It has more dispersants in it, so it's going to get dirty faster than regular oil. What controls how long oil goes is the way you drive the vehicle, not what it's made out of. Man, so, my truck says we can go 15,000 miles. I know, I know, I do, but... Unreal. Really? Yeah, Would yeah. you really want to do that to an engine? Yeah. Go have that. That has made mm. me a very rich man, because we are fixing more engines now than we oh, ever did in the past, fixing more oil leaks because of those yeah, extended oil change intervals. thing is, if you're forced to use synthetic oil in a new truck or whatever, yes. and you want to stick to the old thing of changing your oil like every 3,000 mm-hmm, miles, mm-hmm. if you factor... The cost of synthetic yes. oil change over 100,000 miles, you can buy a new engine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that, but if you if the engine's... It's 100 something dollars for a synthetic oil change if you go to a, a oil change place. Yeah. Well, again, depends on how much oil it takes, what kind of oil they're using, and all those sorts of things. But if the engine well, requires this, synthetic, you got to have synthetic right. in it. Almost all require synthetics now. Most a now. lot of them do, yeah. Yes. yes. And hold on one second. I got to take a break, but I'll be right back and we'll talk about it a little bit more. All right, we'll take one more quick little break and be right back more in the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low price $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. (laughs) Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. 
Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, food tools for trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. We were talking to Keith just before the break, and I saw he got dropped. Uh-huh. What you got to remember about modern engines is they got a lot of things in common with the older engines, but they've got a lot more technology on them Correct. that uses the oil. For instance, we have gotten away from timing belts. Now, a timing belt had the problem it had to be replaced in time. However, when you go to a timing chain, you have a lubrication issue. Because well, the timing chains, chain the timing chains of today. That's right, the new chains. Right. The old chains, you had an overhead valve engine and the chain was only maybe 20 inches long mm-hmm. a modern chain is probably five six seven feet long because and there's it's an overhead or double overhead cam engine and there's several of them and there's, there's a bunch more of them in one. there those all have to be lubricated which has a much much higher lubrication requirement than what the old oils can meet right you're actually using oil pressure tensioners now on those chains as before with the overhead valve engine it was just a tension Right. chain it didn't ha- didn't need any tensions no because it. it was so short it wasn't a problem but right as you start to increase all these technologies when you go to active fuel management well all that runs off the engine all right three stage catalytic converters they're very very susceptible to the amount of vapor that comes out of the pc system and goes into them so there's many 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 things that go into oil nowadays and oil is not just all it's not just one thing oil right. is many 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 things and engineers, in my opinion, have come up with some fairly non-robust designs and then leaned on the chemists to kind of pull their fat out of the fire. Uh-huh. Give us an oil that'll do this, 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 this. Now, in my opinion, you just go back to a more robust designed engine. Exactly. <laughs> and you can kind of use whatever oil you want, but that's neither here nor there. But you got to remember when you're buying a new car, most people have no clue what's under that hood. Oh, no. Buy a 2013 Ford. It's got direct injection. That means you've got a pump putting out 2,200 pounds of pressure. That depends on all to lubricate it. Right. You've got turbochargers on many vehicles, which have extreme lubrication requirements. It's just not your daddy's old Oldsmobile. Oh, no. It's not the oil just flows around, slashes around, and like moves it, up the rods. and Yeah, like it used to do. That's right. That all is doing a number of things. Now, when you couple all of that with the misguided notion that we shouldn't change all because it's bad for the environment, which is a whole nother show. Well, yeah, you're getting that pushed down your throat. That's right. But the manufacturers are demanded by the government to extend these all changes out. So to even have any semblance of possibility of doing that, they've got to go with a really, really highly refined product. Sure. So, and, and, again, you can look at the price and point the figure at one thing, but, again, you got to point the figure back at the causes, which is all the regulations and rules and requirements and technology that we're loading on the vehicles uh-huh. nowadays. Because you're not going to just put 5W30 or 10W30 regular motor oil in that engine. It's just not going to last. The engine's not, it'll tear to pieces. Oh, sure. It just can't do the job. So now we're going to a 0W20 fully synthetic, or if you've got a General Motors product built from – 2011 10, up, I think it was. It 10 requires or 11. Dexos. Right, which, which is, is a, a synthetic. whole other specification of oils. And if you put a different oil in there, you may very well void the warranty on your vehicle. Very well can under many circumstances. You have a lubrication related problem for sure. Right. But a lot of people think they know all about oil. But oil they don't. is very complex. Yeah, it's an extremely, extremely complex subject. I mean, there are engineering fields that do nothing but do that. Uh-huh. Just the word synthetic. There's not a simple answer. Exactly. Because that can talk about a dozen different 
types of products, all vastly different. Sure. And all do different things. Ester oils do different things from polyalpha olefin oils. That's why there's different thing from petroleum oils. That's why they're all different. Right, and there's many, many blends and stuff, many requirements. So it's kind of a really, really involved topic. Sure it Probably is. Probably one way more than we can get into today, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate it when you do that. It kind of moves us up in ratings so more folks can hear us and also makes our day. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.